Mycoplasmosis is a disease of dose and time. The earlier they're infected and the more that they are challenged with, the more likely you are to actually have clinical disease develop in those pigs. Hello, welcome to this edition of Meet the Expert, a new series of podcasts on swine disease management in practice presented by Boehringer Engelheim. My name is Peter Best. And our guest today is Dr. Greg Stevenson, who is Professor of Veterinary Pathology in the College of Veterinary Medicine at Iowa State University in the United States. And I understand, Dr. Stevenson, am I right, that you're a veterinary diagnostic pathologist in the Iowa State Veterinary Diagnostic Laboratory. Is that the correct way to say it? Yes, that's correct. And uh, you're Dealing a lot with pigs, let's put it this way. Yes. Swine, swine is a big part of your life. Swine is. Our, our laboratory is very large. We have about 70,000 cases, and of those, 90% are swine. Um, we take cases from all over the U.S., and some from Mexico, and some from Canada. Now, in a separate podcast with you, uh, we've discussed the sound of coughing in pigs and how it might guide us in relation to the porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome, PERS. Uh, For this podcast, Dr. Stevenson, can we extend the discussion to coughing in pigs due to other factors, other infectious factors that might be responsible? And in particular, am I right that our attention is needed on mycoplasma high pneumonia, on swine influenza virus A, and on actinobacillus pneumoniae or APP. That's correct, uh, because really, when I, when I talk with people working with swine from around the world, um, those are probably the four different infectious agents that uh, cause the most concern in swine worldwide causing respiratory disease. Of course, apart from the recent advent of African swine fever that kind of trumps everything in Southeast Asia. But. Indeed. But the, each of these kind of does cause coughing in the pig. Yes. But those, those coughing episodes are distinctly different? Um, I think if a person learns to li- listen carefully um, uh, to the kind of cough it is, as well as take into account the epidemiology of the coughing in the population, meaning how many animals are coughing at any one time, and if you look at how rapidly it moves through the population and how rapidly the frequency of coughing increases, which is an indicator of how many of those animals are coughing, um, taking that information together, yes, you can get a good idea of what may be causing the coughing. And those metrics differ according to the, the cause or the agent involved. They do because the agents themselves end up causing coughing by slightly different mechanisms and that's what gives the coughing a little bit different character to it. Can we talk about mechanisms then please? We'll start with MHIO, mycoplasma, uh, if we may. Uh, What is the mechanism by which mycoplasma leads to coughing in pigs? Well mycoplasma hyonomoniae is is a bacteria and it's a very very small Um, bacteria. Um, It lacks a cell wall, and those organisms also lack many of the um, molecules that other bacteria do that that harvest nutrients from the environment around them. And as a result, 
um, they have to have a very, very particular specialized environment for them to grow. And interestingly, Mycoplasma hyanomoniae has the environment of, of colonizing the cilia that are appendages of the cells that line the respiratory tract of pigs from their nose down to their alveolar sacs. So we would be talking about the nasal cavity, the larynx, the trachea, and then the, the bronchial tree are all lined by ciliated epithelial cells. And on these cilia are where mycoplasma hyaluronemonia colonizes, makes its home. Uh, what is the advantage of these particular cilia to the mycoplasma then? Why, why is that such a specifically good home for them? Well, let me back up and talk about what the advantage of the cilia are to the pig okay, first. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Okay, uh, because <laughs> the cilia on those epithelial cells in the respiratory tract actually beat, they move, um, they have little motors in them, and they beat in synchrony with one another. Um, and the epithelium also has other cells in it that secrete mucus. So there's a fine layer of mucus that lines all of these airways all the way up, and then the cilia beat in a synchrony that carries the mucus film from the deep parts of the lung all the way up to the nasal cavity. And what actually happens is the animals actually kind of swallow it again and take it down into the GI tract. What that allows the respiratory tract to do is that when you have bacteria or dust particles or anything that comes into the lung and it lights in that mucus layer, the lung then beats the mucus back up out of the lung and removes those potentially uh, harmful agents with this mucus layer. Now, so, yeah. now if we go to mycoplasma hyaluronemoniae, it has found that as its niche where it, it colonizes. And unfortunately, as it colonizes, one of the things it does is it ends up disrupting and ruining the cilia. They become short and blunt, and when they try and beat, they're very inefficient at that. So what starts happening with mycoplasma colonization is that the mucus, instead of being carried up as a thin sheet, it starts building up in spots in the airways. And because it's colonized, the body's trying to rid itself of the colonization. So actually, it produces even more mucus than it normally does trying to get rid of the mycoplasma. And you end up with clots of mucus in the airways. And it's this mucus then that generates the coughing you have blunted cilia and nerve endings there, and then you end up with these bits of mucus in there, and it causes the pigs to generate a cough to try and clear the mucus. And that cough is very distinct in its sound? Well, it's in its sound and also in a kind of when you hear it. If you go into a barn when animals have been inactive in the morning, for example, yeah. and you walk in, and, and because you're walking down the aisles, the pigs start becoming active, in fact, some veterinarians or producers from the walk through a barn will, will slap on a piece of metal to, to kind of wake the pigs up and get them up so they can see how the pigs are moving. Um, when pigs have been laying all night and that mucus has been building up, when they get up and start moving the first time for activity, it will cause that mucus to then move on the cilia. And when it moves... Um, it creates an irritation and the pigs will cough. So what will often happen then, when you move these pigs around, there may have been very little coughing, and then suddenly, all through the barn, you get this kind of, of dry cough that can sometimes end with a bit of gag when they're bringing mucus mm. up that's kind of like, 
And then you'll hear a few pigs go like that. It kind of is like smokers do when they well, get up in the morning. It's very similar. to your smokers cough syndrome. Well, it actually is because smokers, one of the effects of smoking, it irritates and causes blunting of cilia and overproduction of mucus. So it actually is almost exactly the same thing. The genesis of the cough is the same, even though the cause of the blunting of the cilia and excess mucus production is different. But if you think about a smoker's cough in the morning, that's kind of what a mycoplasma cough is for pigs. Once the pigs settled back down in a barn, you can still hear the coughing, but the frequency diminishes again as activity levels go back down. Is that coughing transmitting mycoplasma to other animals in the barn? It is, but, but mycoplasma, if we would compare it, we talked in our earlier podcast about PERS and said that PERS is fairly easily transmitted, but in comparison to influenza virus, among viruses, PERS isn't as rapidly transmitted as some viruses. But if we were now to compare PERS to mycoplasma, mycoplasma is very slowly transmitted. Um, it actually, if you take 30 pigs in a pen and you put one pig that's infected with mycoplasma and it's shedding a little bit in its nasal secretions, in one month of interacting with the other pigs and rubbing noses, it will on average transmit to only one or two pigs during a month period in that pen. It's amazingly slow. And inefficient. And inefficient, yes. From the bacteria point it of is. view. It yeah. is. So yeah. mycoplasmosis is a disease of dose and time. The earlier they're infected and the more that they are challenged with, the more likely you are to actually have clinical disease develop in those pigs. So it's, in that context, it's very different to PERS. It's very different to yes. influenza and uh, APP. Uh, can we talk about the gross pathology of lesions? When you, when you uh, look at a pig with a mycoplasma, uh, you're seeing the cilial damage, as you've described. Are you seeing other damage or other telltale signs, if I may use a non-scientific term? Well, grossly, what we tend to see first is the, that because this um, colonizes airways and because we're getting a buildup of mucus, you actually get some of the lobules of the lung that don't end up having enough air flowing through them because they're partially plugged by mucus. And those tend to be in the cranial ventral portions of the lung. So you get purple discoloration of those lobules. And the lobules will become a little firmer to the touch. And if you cut across the lung and you look at the cut surface and kind of squeeze it, what you'll squeeze out of the, of the conducting airways is mucus or mucus mixed with pus. You can take a knife and put the tip in that material or a pair of scissors and you can string it up, if you will. We all know what mucus looks like because sure, it comes sure. out of our nose when we have colds. It's the same thing as our snot. It's stringy um, because it's got a lot of polysaccharide in it. So if you do have these cranioventral purple lobules and you hear that kind of cough and then you can string mucus out of the airways, you have a pretty good sense that you may have some clinically significant Mycoplasma hyaluronemonia, and that purple is quite a uniform uh, appearance in the lobules. Or it is, it is. However, I'll I'll say this: that one of the most economically significant forms of mycoplasma, because 
these these cilia are blunted. And because now this clearance mechanism of removing particulate material from the lung is diminished because of the effect of mycoplasma, kind of the hallmark of respiratory mycoplasmosis is that it makes the lung more susceptible to opportunistic bacterial infections to other bacteria. Uh So So it's a door opener. It's a door opener. So we talk about that as being enzootic pneumonia. That's the combination of mycoplasma with these other bacteria that form in the lung. And when they form, you get more pus forming in the lung too. So pus is actually white blood cells, and we call them white because to the naked eye, they're white. So if we have a plum-colored lung from mycoplasma, and then you start getting these other bacteria, you add white to the plum, (laughs) and it starts getting more of a gray-colored. Some people will call it, it looks like a fish flesh. If you think of what raw fish looks like before you cook it, that's kind of the color of these lungs. And now when you cut across it, that material has mucus in it, but it's kind of white. It's actually just more pus-like that you're seeing in the lungs. So can these uh, pathological lesions uh, tell us immediately it's uh, mHIO is involved, or how do we approach a differential diagnosis in this case? You know, we talked a little bit earlier about mycoplasma not transmitting nearly as rapidly as as, uh, viruses. So if I were in a swine barn as a practitioner and I heard the kind of coughing I was just describing, the other thing that I would think of as I was looking at it is, well, how frequent is the coughing? And when I talk to the owner, how rapidly has the frequency of the coughing been increasing in this group of animals? If the owner said that the coughing increased very rapidly, had no pigs coughing, and within a matter of week, almost all of them are coughing, that would not be consistent with mycoplasma. That would be consistent with a highly transmissible agent like influenza. Yeah. But if, if we had a lower transmission rate with a slower arcing up of numbers of coughing, and I heard that kind of coughing, and then I was able to do a necropsy on, an, on a characteristic animal, and I saw these plum-colored lobules, and then I cut across, and I squeezed, and I looked, and I could actually string mucus, I would say I had a very high index of suspicion of mycoplasma, and that's probably the first thing I would want a laboratory to test for um, to confirm. I'm with you. And your reports, would they indicate to the field vet, you know, that these particular signs are highly suggestive or whatever term one would use in this case? They would. They would. And, you know, we would look at the lung, uh, at fixed lung under microscope, and the lesions are fairly characteristic, although they're not specific. And what I mean by that is there are no... um, pathognomonic lesions for mycoplasma. I can't look at at, uh, lung under a microscope and be 100% sure, just based on what I'm seeing, that it's mycoplasmosis. In the earlier podcast, we talked about some rather unique features of PERS or influenza that give me a very high index of suspicion. I can be almost sure. With mycoplasma, I can be like 80% sure, but Mm. I can't get to that 95, 98% just based on lesions. Um, we can do PCR on the lung to determine whether mycoplasma hyalinomonia is there. But one of the struggles we have is that mycoplasma hyalinomonia is a very, very common in agent that colonizes lungs. And it colonizes lungs and causes subclinical infection very commonly. So just finding the organism doesn't imply that it's the cause of disease. 
what could the subclinical infection, because it's subclinical, how could it be determined or, or suspected? Well, you would just have a positive test without disease. Uh -huh. uh, the animals would be clini appear clinically normal, uh -huh. and you may not even have gross lesions that you can see. So it literally is colonizing at such a low level yeah. that it's really not causing much yes. harm yet. Yeah. Um, so when we're looking at our PCR results, we also want to look at magnitude, about how much of it that we're finding in a lung, combined with how significant the lesions appear to be. And this is a disease, especially this disease, that when I talk to practitioners, I emphasize that, that they have to be a major part of making a determination because it also depends on how many in the, in the, in the population are affected, how rapidly it spread in the population in order to really confirm this diagnosis with, with some confidence. You are listening to Meet the Expert, a new series of podcasts on swine disease management in practice presented by Boehringer Ingelheim. If you would like to know more about the subject we're discussing in this podcast, additional information is available offline. We've talked about mycoplasma uh, to this degree. Could I take you on then to talk in the same sense? You say influenza is, is very distinctive in in the, what you, what you see could you take us through the same process with with influenza what's the cough like what sure. causes it and so on so let's begin with the sound of the cough please <laughs> okay well let me i want to start maybe with just a little understanding of what is causing the cough before i Fine. give you the sound of the cough <laughs> so so that we understand what we're listening to okay. because i'm not claiming i do a perfect pig influenza well cough. i thought it was pretty good <laughs> <laughs> so Influenza virus, um, there are a variety of kinds of viruses, of influenza viruses. Um, there are, typically we classify them according to surface proteins on them. And uh, people may have gotten reports where they find that they have an H1N1 influenza or an H1N2 or an H3N2. Those are the three most common types of influenza that we see around the world in pigs. All of those influenza viruses cause exactly the same disease, although different strains may vary, vary in how severe of disease they cause. The disease they cause is, is all the same. It just varies in severity. And what influenza viruses do, they replicate in the cells, in the epithelial cells that line the nasal cavity and the trachea and bronchi. So those same cells that we talked about having cilia on them, that the mycoplasma hyaluronemoniae colonize the cilia, influenza virus actually invades the cell, lives inside of it, and replicates itself within those cells. But the problem is, when it does that, it kills the cells. So now instead of just having, like mycoplasma, where you have excess mucus and some things, now we actually have cell death, and you get this kind of raw the, the uh, airways lack an epithelial lining, mm. so it just is a very raw, very painful thing. And the nerve endings that are there are exposed. So what happens then, you have this, this, this uh, 
painful or this tickling in the airways and an animal reacts fairly strongly to it. So you get this very kind of explosive cough. And as you can imagine, if you have nerve endings that are, that are left um, unguarded, when you have this explosive cough, the cough itself generates more cough. So we talk about having paroxysmal coughing or paroxysmal yes. coughing, where you get groups of these really strong coughs. So many people describe these coughs as kind of a goose honking cough. And that's because it's kind of a, an expiratory explosion. This kind of, <clears throat> like they're trying to push all this pain out. And, and what happens when they start doing that, you'll have animals that'll sit there and they just keep coughing and they can't stop. They'll cough so hard that they'll actually prolapse their, their anus out the back from just the abdominal pressure of coughing. Is that a common occurrence? Uh, well, with say? severe influenza, it can be. Yes, you can actually have coughing so severely that, that you actually have rectal prolapses as a consequence of it. Goodness yes, me. so, so yeah. it's a, influenza cough is probably the most characteristic and the most widely recognized by, by veterinary practitioners yes. or swine producers. Yes. If they've heard it once, they yeah. recognize it. Yeah, geese honking. Goose yes. honking cough, yes, yeah, yeah. and paroxysms, yes, paroxysms coughing of yes. coughing fits, yes. yes, of thank you, coughing fits of goose honking cough, <laughs> yeah. that's influenza. That's it, that's it, and it's uh, duration and transmission, please. So you know, it's you've described very clearly how it arises and how it can become a paroxysm. Yes, so. To, Influenza virus is always the example that we use when we're teaching veterinary students as probably the most transmissible respiratory virus. So it tends to go through populations very fast, okay, very fast. And when it affects pigs, um, the virus is present in a pig for only a week to 10 days. However, because this lesion is so severe with the very virulent viruses, the virus can be gone, but the lesion can remain. So the fact that I say the virus isn't there for very long doesn't mean the animal doesn't stay sick longer. Yeah, because the sickness disease, is yeah. caused by the lesion that's created. Yeah, yeah. So uncomplicated influenza with a moderate virulence virus can create coughing and the pigs can resolve and be back on feed and do pretty well in a week's time. But if you have really severe influenza with a lot of airway damage... You can have such severe um, inflammation of the lungs, such severe damaged airways. Um, you can have pigs that go off feed, and a week, 10 days later, they're still not getting up. And I've had practitioners say, we must have a lot of secondary bacteria in there because if this were just influenza, they'd be all better by now. And so they send us more samples. And we look at them and we, we look at them and say, no, these are just the resolving lesions of very severe necrotizing bronchitis, which would be what I've described with that epithelial yeah. damage. So they were just damaged so badly yeah. they haven't healed yeah. healed yet. So yes. the bronchitic lesions are the things that are persisting, not the organism, yeah. not the infection in this case. Yeah. You get, Let, you, can sorry. I, can yes, I back please. up just a minute? Please. One thing we didn't cover, um, influenza virus. Um, one question that could be asked is, where do we see it? What ages of pigs do we see it mm. in? Um, and in depends upon the swine system that we're in because we can see it as an epizootic or we can see it as an enzootic. And by what I mean by that, an epizootic means you have, basically most of the animals don't have any immunity to it. 
um, so that when it goes through a herd, it'll affect animals of all ages. Okay, and if it affects the sows, um, you can have sows, uh, pregnant animals go off feed. Um, they may cough some, they may not cough. They may abort in late third trimester um, from having influenza. We can see it also in an endemic form, which is the most common form. It's most of how we see it in the United States now because our herds are large and we're farrowing every day of the week. Um, and so you always have a new population of susceptible animals being generated in those herds. In that case, what you end up having is a small amount of influenza virus being transmitted from a very few, usually first parity or gilt, gilts that are infected with virus, to their suckling pigs. And we can actually see influenza in suckling pigs at times. When we see it in suckling pigs, it tends to be a fairly mild disease where we get this really, if you can imagine, I don't have a high enough voice to give you a high-pitched little goose-honking cough, but they have this little high, <laughs> and it's the same character of cough, they'll, and they'll, they'll continue to suckle, but they'll kind of isolate themselves in the crates when they're doing it. Mm. They usually don't die, and then they carry the virus into the nursery where they infect everybody mm. when they get mm. mixed in the nursery, and you'll have outbreaks in the nursery. So generally, as these pigs get older and we mix them, then we create susceptible populations and our frequency, our prevalence of infection increases dramatically. And that's when we tend to see the outbreaks that we're used to. But you can also see it in suckling pigs. It's less commonly recognized, but it's there. That's how it ends up getting out in our other barns. Yeah. So you've got these two manifestations, the, the quick and the long almost. Yes. Uh, in that in that sense, and it, it, in terms of transmission, you get this very uh, uh, clear illustration with mycoplasma earlier, where you said in thirty days, if you started with one pig, after thirty days you might have a second pig with mycoplasma. It's a very different situation than with influenza virus. Yes, absolutely. If we took that same pen of thirty pigs and we introduced a pig that was currently with influenza shedding virus, and the other pigs were were susceptible in that pen. We, we could probably expect every animal to have influenza within four or five days because they're coughing continually. Yes, yeah. And they as a result, again. they're aerosolizing yes. lot, large amounts of yeah. virus. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it spreads quite rapidly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you get into 1,200 or 2,000 head barns and it starts in one end, depending on how the ventilation is generated, it's weird how things can happen where you may end up with pockets of animals that haven't been infected for longer than you might expect um, in those barns. Because the airflow is such. Because of the airflow and the size. Um, you ah, know, yeah. population dynamics can sometimes be odd um, compared to, to smaller groups that, we're, that I'm more used to thinking about. Right. Okay. Let's look at the pathology, mm -hmm. please, a little bit more. It is highly indicative then. It, yes. The, uh, what you see in pathology? It is. Um, excuse me. It is, if I'm talking about a typical virulent influenza, the ones that we are concerned about because they cause such severe disease sure. clinically. In that case, the kind of the hallmark lesion in those lungs is that we have necrosis of the, of the epithelium lining the airways. Normally, these epithelial cells have a morphology that's called columnar. In other words, the cells... If you, if you think about bricks that you would build a house with, yeah. if you turn a brick on end, that's a columnar cell. 
The nucleus is the bottom. The cell's taller than it is wide. And the word comes from column, then, does it? Yeah, it comes from column. I see. And that's the normal morphology of cells that line the airways. Yes. Okay? But when you cause necrosis of those cells and they fall off, there are a few remaining cells that start dividing to replace themselves. Yes. And when they start dividing, they stretch out, and they're really, really flat cells. So it's almost like putting paver stones uh, as a first thing, where they're far wider than they are tall, so the morphology and the look of these airways changes entirely. Yes. It's a very unique look. We're used to looking at them. And I can not only tell you that they've had influenza, I can give you a good idea how many days ago they had influenza wow. just based on these airways going from acute necrosis to early repair to intermediate repair to being nearly fully repaired. And that information of timing is helpful Yes. In, in determining what to do about it, as well as what's happened. Well, and what it does is it, it adds um, confidence with the practitioners that actually heard the pigs coughing. Because oftentimes I don't get that information. They'll just send the tissues in for, for diagnosis or confirmation. And I'll write a report and say, well, you know, these are subacute lesions. The PCR is negative because the virus is no longer here, but these these lesions are characteristic of influenza, and this pig likely had influenza acutely about a week ago. And I'll oftentimes have practitioners email me and say, you're right, they were coughing about a week ago. Um, so it matches up. You know, the morphology of the timing matches up with, with the clinical expression that they were experiencing. Uh, do we have to be quite particular what we're sampling in order to give you the right animal to actually to with see influenza that? it becomes really important because influenza <clears throat> is not um, I told you that uh, PERS virus is a systemic disease it affects all the way through the body right. influenza virus only infects the lungs and the upper the upper respiratory tract in the lungs and when it infects them as I've said it kind of goes down the airways and infects those cells. So you can have what are called segmental lesions. If you think of a garden hose or a pipe, it'd be like just one segment of the pipe is affected and the rest of the hose is fine. So there'll be multifocal lesions affecting segments of the airways. When we tell people, and what will happen then is where the airways are affected, you'll have purple lobules on the lung and they'll tend to be clustered in the craniovental lung, but you'll have individual lobules scattered yes. through the lung. Yeah. We always talk about the looking kind of like a checker or a chess playing board. It's a checkerboard pattern. Yes. We tell them if they see a checkerboard pattern that we want the purple lobules with big airways. We want to be sure there are airways in there, and we want them to get the ones that are purple, not the ones that aren't, because we want the lesions where the le we want where the lesions are, so that it'll be virus positive. Yes. Because you can actually take a sample of lung from a lung with influenza and do PCR on it and have it be negative. If you take the wrong even piece. though the th yeah because yes. you've taken the wrong because piece. it's it's a multifocal lesion yes. as opposed to PERS yeah you can take the sample from about anywhere and it'll be fine because it's a systemic and it's a diffuse lesion so you'll be very selective on the t yes. uh, tissue sample that we you typically receive. tell people that we want them to sample the lung in multiple locations always including some around the hilus where the larger yes. airways are and we want them to get the different colors and put all those different pieces in one bag that we'll do the PCR test on. Yeah, so yeah. we're sure we get the right piece. Yeah. But with the right pig and the, those sort of size, you're pretty confident. There's a high yes. rate of confidence. Yes, and as we talked about with PERS, 
In addition to those, if you want to increase your confidence even more, you can put cotton ropes in the pins, two, two ropes per pin, leave them in for 30 minutes, and then put the fluid in and, and we'll test the fluid. We can test the fluid also for influenza virus. What you say, two two ropes per pen for 30 minutes, is, 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 what sort of pen are we talking about? <laughs> Sorry, is that 30 well, there's, pig there's pen? Well, there's what? actually quite a bit of different, that, that's a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> okay. And Good. there's a, quite a bit of research that looks at how, at how many ropes to hang and how long you hang them and how many animals should be in the pen. If you have too big a pins, then you hang more ropes. So I'll leave that for another day. But But the issue is just, there is information out there that you can find on the web that will give people thumb rules if they want to use oral fluids on how to collect it. And you'd recommend that they had a look at that and, yes. uh, and included that as a routine, let's say, as, yes. a, a, uh, as a procedure for their uh, observation on, of a herd. I yeah. would. You're right. Thank you for that. Can we go on to APP, please, on the same basis as before? But... You know, with APP, it's, it seems a bit strange to ask you about coffee because they don't cough very much, do they? Or, they or don't. They? they don't. We were talking about that amongst us a minute ago and kind of laughed and said maybe the only cough you get is when they fall and hit the ground dead and go, huh. <laughs> um, because typically with APP, it causes a really rapid, acute death um, from a very virulent bacterial infection. That completes the first episode of this podcast, but please stay tuned for the second episode, which is available. <laughs>